as we uh, we jump back into Acts, it's been a few weeks, so just a quick reminder. Sometimes I think when we get going into the study, we can kind of forget. This is a letter. It's a letter that was written from Luke who traveled with Paul to a guy named Theophilus. And the reason he wrote it was to encourage Theophilus in his walk with the Lord, to encourage him that Jesus is who He said He is. He did what He said He did and what what people have witnessed. And, And it's the unfolding of how the Gospel went from Jerusalem to Rome, which was a huge deal. And you know, we, we forget that sometimes. And when we look at the Bible, we, we, we look at it with different lens, but it is written for us to be encouraged that Yahweh is the one true living God. His Son is Jesus. And He chose Israel as a place, the geographical area of Israel, as a place for His name to dwell and to go forth throughout all the earth. And when we were over there uh, last month, Lori and I, one morning, we just got up and we looked out and we said, this is the holiest earth in the universe. Because God chose this place for His name to dwell. And then He chose for the story of redemption to go from here throughout the rest of the world. And we're here today meeting in a room talking about it 2,000 years later, really thousands and thousands of years later after His creation, but when He chose Israel, throughout the Bible you see He chose for His name to dwell there so that His name would go forth. And, and He's writing Theophilus to tell him that. And His purpose is simply to say, Jesus was the Son of God, He's resurrected, and you can have power... In His name. The resurrection power He displayed is available to you by the Holy Spirit living in you. And your life should look different, Theophilus, than the rest of the world. And I think we miss that sometimes. Because we, we, we kind of miss the forest for the trees. Is that right? Did I say that right? Is that the right way to say it? I can't remember. I'm from Mississippi. I asked for your mercy. So I don't, I don't know some of that stuff. But anyway, so we, we're in Acts chapter 20. And remember, the first 12 chapters really deal with the Jewish church. It was the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2, really, uh, when the Holy Spirit came. And it was the primary ministry there was the Apostle Peter. And Peter was the guy that was closest to Jesus. And I think Jay um, might have picked up on it. And, and Chuck, I, when I took you to Israel, I didn't, I didn't do what I do now. But I learned this from the guy that took us over there a few years ago. When he led like a rabbi, usually the students that were the hungriest would be right on the feet of the, the rabbi. They would walk in the dust of the rabbi. I always thought that Jesus just picked James, Peter, and John, but more than likely, they were the ones who were always right on His heels. And so they were getting a lot more information than the other guys who were in the back as they walked and they traveled. And they were up there. They wanted to be there. And Jay, you saw on our trip, not everybody wants to be up there. They were busy taking photos. Yeah, a lot of people are busy thinking about the crops or whatever else. 
And, and so Peter was the guy that was the leader. And he had a huge ministry. And we see this transformation from the guy who denied Jesus to a guy who said, listen, we got to do what God tells us. We don't care what you say. And we see his ministry affect the church in Jerusalem. And that's the primary part of the first 12 chapters of Acts is the church at Jerusalem. What's it doing? And um, how it's impacting Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. But God knew what He was going to do with a guy who was the chief persecutor of church, this guy named Paul, or Saul at the time. And Acts 13 through the end of the chapter is how God takes the primary persecutor and turns him into the guy who's going to be the primary influencer of the Western church, which is us. And so we see the, the Gentile church start to flourish, and it's all really Paul. And he, it, it really is amazing as you see the similarities between Paul and Jesus in a lot of ways as Paul does his ministry. It doesn't start off that way, but it, that's where we are. We're at the end of Paul's ministry, guys. Really, the, from 20 to 28, we're seeing Paul's ministry wind down. He's going to get arrested. He's going to go to Rome. And it looks a lot like Jesus did. And isn't that the way we're supposed to be? Don't you want people to see you and think, wow, that reminds me a lot of Jesus. That's the greatest compliment anybody could ever give you. And that's what's going on with Paul. We see it in the way he... And I'll mention it more toward the end. But that really is the Gospel going to the ends of the earth. And what did Jesus say in Acts 1.8? It starts here, and it's going to go to the ends of the earth. You're going to be my witnesses. And Paul was one. And so, as we look at Acts 21-12, let me just give you a brief recap of 19. You remember what was going on in 19 before we broke? They were in where? Ephesus. Ephesus was one of the four great cities of that time. Alexandria, Corinth, Rome, and Ephesus. And remember, we, we were dealing with Paul who had upset the silver makers, all the shrine makers, the idol makers. Why? Because all the people were saying, God's made with hands aren't God's at all. We're not going to worship that anymore. We want to worship the one true living God, Yahweh, and His Son, Jesus. And, and so Demetrius stirred up a big stir, and there was a riot that ensued. Thousands of people gathered in the Colosseum there, and God used the town clerk to disperse them. But what happened was, in, in Acts 19.20 was the key verse of that. It says, the Word of God prevailed mightily. It doesn't say Paul prevailed. It says the Word of God <coughs> mightily. And, and God's Word says what? That He unfolds His plan. You can't stop God's plan, guys. You can't. The Satan can't stop God's plan. And as much as those thousands of people wanted to probably tar and feather Paul, the town clerk steps up. God works through that clerk and disperses and says, you guys need to go. You're going to be... Uh, in danger of being charged with writing. Rome's going to come here and kill everybody. And so they dispersed. And, and, but you really saw a contrast between all these people who ditched. Remember, what had happened? There was a book burning that happened before the riot. 
There was a book burning that happened not because zealots went out there and said, hey, we got to burn all the bad books. It was the people that used the books that sold, that, you know, that used those magic books, burned them all because they didn't want anybody else. That's repentance. When you burn the things that you know that are not of God in your life, the idols in your life, you burn them and get rid of them because you don't want them to impact your children. You don't want them to impact those around you. And boy, that, that's convicting to me. They just burned it. They didn't care that they spent a lot of money on it. I was reminded of a story in the Old Testament where God was uh, chastising somebody for doing something while they were depending on another country. And they said, wait a minute, we paid all this money. He said, don't worry about the money. I'll take care of the money. I'll take care of you. We, we get so sometimes... Um, pragmatic in the way we look at things uh, you know I can't do that because it's going to cost me we forget who we serve that the God of all creation owns the cattle on a thousand hills he knows how many hairs you have on your head he doesn't wish a bird to perish so he's the God who's our refuge and so Paul over time experienced that that's why he could go from city to city and suffer and suffer and so as we look at today's passage, I'd like to give you three thoughts about just the first 12 verses. Okay, And the first one is that God shows His love. That Really, this whole text and this, this whole section is about how God shows His love for the church, for His people. And He shows His love, first of all, by calling us to encourage and guide younger disciples to pass on the truth to the next generation. That's a very loving thing because this church is made up of parents who have children and younger people. And I've asked this question before in here. Think about it. What if, what if all the, the, the evangelism and discipleship in Jacksonville, depending upon your habits, as to whether the gospel would continue in this city in the next five years. What would that look like? I mean, you got to think about those kind of questions because we are His people who are tasked to make disciples. And, and you know, it, it looks different for everybody. Jeff, your ministry is different than my ministry. But the focus should be that we are always looking for younger believers, more immature believers that we can speak into their life to encourage them so that they can do the same thing down until Jesus comes back. Amen. So that's one way He shows His love. Second way is to engage and gather with disciples for regular fellowship instruction and to remember Jesus and also to what He did and to remember what our purpose is. That's why we get together. And we're going to see how Paul and his young disciples go take part in a worship service that is very instructive to us over what our gathering should look like. But I've talked to people before who say, you know, I don't really like church. I don't, you know, my, I, my church is out on a boat, you know, with a beer in my hand, me and Jesus. I'm not kidding you. People say that. 
My church is out in the woods, you know. I don't, I don't really... The church is messed up and so... Listen, the church is the bride of Christ. Listen, every church is flawed, right? Every ch- the church is the people. We're all messed up. But there are things that ought to be part of a local church that you're a part of. If they're not, you ought to be going to the leaders and saying, why aren't we doing this? And we see in this text how Paul and his young disciples go to Troas and they experience that. Well, the third thing is we see how God shows His love as He calls us to examine and give attention to God's messengers and His Word. And we don't always do that. Do we, Ken? God sends somebody into your life like Riley, if Riley were to come up to me at the Y and say, hey, I saw you doing this, and I don't think that's good. <laughs> and I, I think that's Riley. Who is he to come in to tell me something like that? Instead of seeing it as God speaking through him? Isn't that what Israel did in the Old Testament? The prophets would say, and the kings didn't like it, who are you? I got my prophets over here. They tell me what I want to hear. Do we not surround ourselves with people that tell us what we want to hear a lot of times? Because we look more to the horizontal than the vertical. We forget that the one true living God speaks through His people. He always has. And something happens here to let and and model to this younger generation that Paul is discipling that the fear of God better be on you. Because when God sends a messenger, when God sends a messenger, you can bet if that person's coming in the name and authority of God and saying, and if they're telling you something out of Scripture, I'm not talking about a tradition here. I'm talking about God's Word. I'm not talking about somebody's personal preference here. I'm talking about what God's Word says. And our country right now is codifying things that go directly against God's design and His Word, and the church is compromising on it. In a lot of ways, a lot of professing churches and believers are compromising because they think it's more loving to affirm delusion than God's design. And it's wrong. And people disregard it because, oh, that's just Mike's opinion. You know? That's just Jeff instead of seeing it as God saying something. And I, I can remember I had a conversation over the holidays with someone who said, you know what? I, I, I'm pretty prideful, I guess. God's just going to have to humble me. <laughs> it was a young person. Not a real young person, but still a young person. But I, I, I was sharing with them what God's Word says, and that was their response. That scared me for that person. When you say something like that, that's scary. So, those three things... Yes, sir? Can I just make a quick comment? You, uh, when those of us that were fortunate enough to be there with you, when we were in Israel, and you admonished us as we were coming back to hold tight, that feeling to the presence of Lord just being so strong within you and you'll you'll be tempted to fall back into your secular ways 
and and I've experienced that. Here it is, just a month, and probably within days, you know, it's just all those bad temptations, all those bad tendencies, and it's just hit me in the last couple of days. That's why we need these gatherings. That, that, that's why we get together. To be reminded and to encourage one another. And we're going to see that. And I appreciate you sharing that because it happens to me too. I mean, like, it's easy for us. I can go on a mission trip to India. I can be serving the Lord, suffering. I mean, dealing with really hard stuff and be like feeling so good about everything, just at peace. And I come back over here where life is easy, technology takes care of everything, and I'm miserable. And I'm trying to fill my happiness. Because why? Because we're not serving and doing what we're supposed to be doing. We forget our purpose. And so that's one of the principles there. That's why we gather together to remember. So, you know, as we go into this, we see Paul's last miracle here, by the way. You know, Paul didn't just do miracles willy-nilly. Like, okay, Chuck, you need this? Okay, it's done. No. Do you remember he says, I left Trophimus sick? Remember he said, Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach? Why didn't he just say, your stomach's healed? Because miracles were not for the people. The miracles were always to indicate that this is a servant of the Most High God. And he comes with the authority of God. And that is why he does this miracle with Eutychus in this text. And it blows those people away and it's a stamp of God's approval on Paul as he models to these young people what's important. And so this is his ministry's winding down. This is kind of the end of the journey. And remember Troas, sometimes, how many of y'all really think about Troas very much? But this is where he's at. I hope you'll never forget that Troas is where Eutychus was raised from the dead. How many people in all of Scripture were raised from the dead? Not that many. But to be honest with you, until I was studying about this, I thought, you know, I never really thought much about Troas. That's a pretty significant place. You know what else it says where Troas is mentioned? The end of 2 Timothy. Paul says, hey Timothy, bring me the parchments from Troas. What parchments? What's he talking about? The Scriptures. He left them there. Why did He leave them there? For the church. For the people. He was teaching them. How long did He teach, by the way? If you read the text, you know, all night. How many of you guys have been to an all-night teaching session at a church? I've been to one in my entire life. Let's try that at Ponte Vedra Prez and see how that goes. Yeah, yeah, but you know what I'm saying. But you know, but you know what I'm saying. People, we, we, are you kidding me? What's he going to speak about for like ten hours? That's our mentality. But their mentality was, we want to hear what God has to say. Teach us. And so. That's how God shows His love. He did. He brought Paul there with His young disciples. And so let's read the text, and then we're going to look at each one of them. Okay, Starting in verse 1. After the uproar ceased, what uproar? The riot we talked about. Paul sent for the disciples 
And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. Now when he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, that's twice encouragement's mentioned there, he came to Greece. There he spent three months and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So Peter the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and the Asians Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us Who's us, by the way? Paul and who? Luke. Luke. Who's writing it? At Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Now on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, so you have all those guys I mentioned in Luke, and Paul. So nine guys there. Paul talked with them intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus sitting at the window sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. You guys be careful if you sleep in the service here, okay? Yeah. But Paul went down and he bent over him and taking him in his arms, he said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. No, they were greatly comforted. This, these are the very words of God. God shows His love by calling us to encourage. Encourage. Key word there. Twice He says it in the text. Encourage and guide younger disciples. It's easy to discourage them a lot of times. But he encouraged them. Why did Paul want to encourage the disciples uh, from Ephesus? Remember the twelve? He wanted to encourage them because what had they witnessed? Yes, they witnessed Paul (coughs) being allowed to leave, but he also witnessed, they witnessed the riot. Do you think that might have scared them a little bit? think that might have concerned them a little bit. And he wanted to encourage them. But Paul clearly saw this event in Ephesus as maybe God moving him to somewhere else. And he knew his time was coming to an end. We see that later in 20 when he talks about it. But he wanted to encourage them to pass on the truth. That's what he did. He was about discipleship. Paul wanted to go back to all the places, and we see that in the first part of the text. He wanted to go back to Macedonia. Well, what churches were in Macedonia? Berea, Thessalonica, Corinth. 
He wanted to go back to those churches and minister to those believers and help them grow too because he knew his time was coming to an end. And he's very intentional. He's very intentional. You know, in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, imitate me as what? I imitate Christ. Imitate me. He wants to go back and, and, and encourage these young disciples, hey, the things you see in me, you, you, you be just like me as I imitate Christ. You know, I go to that shooting school and one of the things that really was reinforced to me up there with Bill as he instructed was this idea, everything we do at the school, he demonstrates first. Everything. He doesn't do one drill that he doesn't demonstrate first. And he tells you, and it's so funny, all the guys will go and they watch the target. They want to see what he, how, he, how his impact is. But the good shooters, they watch Bill. Because they know he's going to hit the target. They're watching to see him. And it's so funny, three or four times during the class, the other instructors will say, hey guys, get over to the side and watch Bill. Don't watch the target. You can see his target afterwards. But watch what he's doing. But it never fails. I just sit there and I'll look at the guys and they're all watching the target. Wow, they're going like this, you know. And instead of watching Bill. And Paul says, imitate me. When you find someone or you know someone that is walking with the Lord, they're following hard after, after the Lord, that's a person you want to watch. How do they handle this? What do they do here? Because there, there is no quick fixes to the Christian life. You learn by being around people, and that's the way I've learned. I had the blessing of being around guys like Steve Farrar and, and Jonathan or Stephen Olford, Leighton Ford, other guys who guys who were deeply committed to the word and watching them. Perry Bowers, who's going to be my guest on the radio tomorrow. Perry's been a mentor since 1996. Most people don't even know who Perry is. He's up in Columbia, South Carolina. Not a month has gone by since 1996 that Perry doesn't call me and says, how you doing with the Word? How you doing with your wife? How you doing with your kids? I mean, since 1996. He just moved from his ministry that he founded. and He does groups up there that call forums. They're like SWAT. But he has now gone into a different phase of life, he said, because he's turned the ministry over to some younger people that are doing it. They're, they're not that much younger, but they're still in their 40s. And he's moved with his wife to a different place. And he says, I'm kind of at a different place right now. I'm, I've got applications in to be like a corporate chaplain, and I'm helping do a Bible study at the church, but it's a real weird place. But he still calls me. He still checks on me. Because I met him in 1996. And I said, I want to learn to follow Jesus like you do. And he has been faithful to encourage. That's what Paul's doing. He's going to all these places to do that for the next generation. And so he encouraged them. And uh, he went to all these places. 
you know, it's, it, yeah. For encouraging, one thing that's um, that we can do, action item, is take your phone and just scroll through it. And if, you, and if Lord, Holy Spirit picks out somebody, just shoot them a quick text and just say, I'm praying for you. Just, yeah, that's something you can do. Uh, I, I just, I've gotten to where I pick up the phone and I call these guys who have asked me to, like Roy, when he calls. Or I'll call Roy. I'll just call him and say, how you doing? You know, and check on him. Um, and so, 2 Timothy 2, 2 says, the things you heard from me, what? Find faithful men who will train others and train them. And that's what Paul's doing. He's just actually doing. They're all fulfilling. All these things are fulfilling what Jesus commanded His disciples to do. He said what? As you are going, that's what it literally means, make disciples, teaching them all I've commanded. It's not a one and done. We grow up in a culture that says, well, you just go tell people about Jesus. Then it's the church's job to disciple them. No, we're all believers. We're all priests. We all should be doing that. And when Paul goes to these cities like Thessalonica, I'm reminded of 1 Thess 2 where he says, listen, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but ourselves because you have become very dear to us. Paul had this great love for the people he was discipling. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses how holy and righteous and blameless our conduct was. For you know how like a father with his children we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Who in your life are you challenging to walk in a manner worthy of God? That's discipleship. That's discipleship. Find a younger believer and encourage them. Don't discourage them. Encourage them. Man, I know you're having a hard time, but God wants to do so much with you. This is a hindrance over here. And, and just do life on life with them. Encourage them just like he did. Paul over in Philippians 1, because Philippi was there, he says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. How encouraging is that, Jeff? To have a guy say, man, I know he's going to finish with you. You're going to finish strong. He's encouraging. Not, man, you screw that up. Come on, I've been spending all this time and you're going to go do that? Paul is encouraging them. And he says, it's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. You're all partakers with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the Gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you. I want to... Man, when I'm not with you, I want to be there with you, walking with you, doing ministry together. That's what he's saying. And so, he goes on in verse 3. He was going to sail from uh, where they were. He was going to sail over. He wanted to go to Jerusalem. But there was a plot. 
on the what it was, it was like a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the feast. They wanted to go to Passover, so there would be literally hundreds of people on this boat, the big boats that would go, and there was a plot. They said, "We'll just kill Paul and throw his body overboard." And Paul goes, "No, I'm not. God's not done with me yet. I'm not getting on that ship." And so he decides to go another way. And when he decides to go another way, he actually celebrated Passover uh, somewhere else, and he ends up going to Troas. And it tells us that he took these seven guys with him to Troas. And what's interesting is where did these guys come from? His journeys, his missionary journeys, every one of them. Sopater was a Berean from the second missionary journey. Aristarchus and Secundus were Thessalonians' second missionary journey. Gaius from Derby, first missionary journey. Timothy from Lystra, second missionary journey. Tychicus and Trophimus were from Asia, third missionary journey. Paul identified who these men were going to be for him. He saw them, he said, I want you to come with me. I want you to come with me. And they became his rabbi. And he said, you guys are going to be the leaders of the church when I'm gone. And were they? Yes. And, and Aristarchus was in prison with him. We see Timothy imprisoned. Timothy led the church at Ephesus. Timothy was important in Corinth. I mean, Timothy was his like a son to him. Titus was there too. There were others. Paul had a lot of guys, but these seven he's building into right now. And he says, I want you to go wait at Troas. I'm going to come there after I finish doing some stuff here encouraging them. And so that's what he did. And he picks up Luke and then he joins him. But that's encouraging younger disciples. Who are we encouraging? Guys, you've got to be intentional. Be intentional. Well, down in verse 7, it says, On the first day of the week, we were gathered. This is the engage and gather with disciples regular for fellowship, instruction, and remember our Lord. Be in community. We are in disobedience if we're not regularly worshiping in a local church somewhere. It's just, it's, there's too much there that tells us that we need to be doing that in the Scriptures. Um, and notice when they did it, the first day of the week, when we gathered together. They weren't in isolation. They broke bread. That, it says they broke bread. Guys, that, that was a love feast. It was a combination like a potluck. What they did was the people that had food would bring food there and share it with people who didn't have food. And then they would celebrate communion. And it was called a love feast, an agape feast, the unconditional love feast. And Paul, it says, taught them, verse 7. Paul talked with them, dialogued with them. It was a dialogue kind of teaching there. And he prolonged his speech till midnight. But I just, I want you to think about this for a second. Um, this whole issue of gathering. Um, first of all, the long speech. Who determined the length of the speech? Lord. Yeah. Who determines the length of our sermons today? The culture, right? The culture. 
I, the culture does. And, and you know, we, we kind of chuckle about it, but it's sad to me. I mean, I, I remember growing up, there, there were Sundays, there were some Sundays we'd be at the church for, I'm not kidding you, when I grew up, we had two-hour messages. Two hours. I remember. I was like, man, are we ever going home? I'm hungry. <laughs> Two-hour messages. Can you imagine if you started doing that on a regular basis? Everybody go, I can't go there, man. That's too long on a Sunday. <laughs> but we'll go spend four hours out on a golf course. I'm just saying. You wonder why our church is so impotent? It's because of lack of the Word. It's a famine of the Word of God. People don't know the Word. We're ignorant of the Word. Jay, how on your trip, how aware were you of your lack of knowledge of God's Word? It's the most humbling thing to think you sit in church every Sunday you hear messages, but most of them are 20 to 30 minutes. I remember going to a church in San Antonio to preach, and the guy goes... Okay, so we'll, there's going to be 45 minutes of music, and then you'll have about 15 minutes to, to get your message across. And I go, I can't even say hi in 15 minutes. Are you kidding me? And so I went 30. He wasn't happy. It's funny, I'll never forget. He got up after I preached, no kidding, and he said, Thank you, Reverend McCary, for telling us what you believe. Now let's affirm what we believe. <laughs> that was interesting. So, yeah. Doug, we, we read a lot about the early church and you know Paul's writing letters to the early church correcting things they're doing, but I mean, what did they do when they got together? What That's what I'm fixing to tell you right okay. here. That was a good... You're a good disciple, right, Jay? He's going right where you... That, See, you think I paid him to do that. I didn't. All right, no, seriously. Here's principles for church gathering. We see it here. First of all, the, the, the principle is you got to gather regular. They did it weekly. There was a weekly gathering. It, 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 it's, it's something where they came together and they came together on the first day of the week. Why? Resurrection. Yes, it was a resurrection day. Listen, guys. The old creation, the reason they rested on Shabbat or on the, the, the seventh day of the week is why? In creation, God worked six days and then there was rest. With Christ in the new creation, we rest on the first day because He did the work. And that's what they celebrated. They celebrated the resurrection. And so, in 1 Corinthians 16.2, you see it. It says, hey, when you're taking up the collections on the first day of the week, so this was something normative. So, what happens is, it was something that they just said, we're going to do it this way because we want to be reminded of what happened on the first day of the week. And so for us now, what happened initially is it went away from the first day of the week. A lot of people don't call it the Sabbath. It's not. It's really, uh, John MacArthur calls it the Lord's Day. It was the Lord's Day. And so, but now, it's any day. <laughs> Churches have services on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday. And what happens is you end up getting a mindset, well, well, now we don't even have to go. We can just do a podcast and people stop being around people. And church becomes more about information than it is about the gathering. And so, 
It was the first day of the week. They had love feast and communion. Communion was something they celebrated really every time they got together. And by the way, when they celebrated, you didn't have to, quote, be a priest to do it. You guys can lead communion in your home. That was what they did. They they remembered the Lord. They remembered His death. They remembered His resurrection. But they had these love feasts at church where people would share, like out of Acts 2.42, where the church would come together. They had fellowship and instruction. They would break bread together. But they gathered to remember. And remember in 1 Corinthians 11, they were doing it wrong. What was happening is you had people bringing food, but they weren't sharing. They were just eating their own stuff. And then they would celebrate communion after they just denied their brother food who was in need. And then they're going to sit there and take communion like, I'm good. And and some of them got sick and died. Because God said, no, you're not going to do that. But the other thing was they taught God's Word. That's what they did. They came together. It wasn't about entertainment. It was the Word of God was central to that gathering time. The teaching, the instruction. And I'm just always amazed that people don't see the teaching as a part of worship. People go, man, I love worship Sunday. Alright, what did he preach on? Oh, I'm talking about the music. It's an act of worship when you come together. The teaching, the, the music is a part of it. The giving, it's all a part of the worship. And so, God's Word was taught. 1 Timothy 4.13 says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. To exhortation and to teaching. That's part of that service. That's what they did. And so, as we uh, think about that, also, Colossians 4 says, Paul says, when this letter has been read among you, have it read in the churches of the Laodiceans. See that you read the letter from the Laodiceans as well. So they read these letters that are now part of our Bible. It was instructive for them. And 2 Timothy 4, people go, I don't like him because he preaches. Well, guess what? 2 Timothy 4 says, preach the Word. There's a difference between preaching and teaching. Preach is... I've used this illustration before. If my child is in the living room and I'm on the couch, I say, hey, don't go in the street because cars can hurt you. you know, they can kill you and you won't be with mommy and daddy anymore. Preaching is when you're out in the yard and your kid's out near the road and you go, hey, get out of the road! <laughs> a car's coming. That's preaching. There's a difference between the two. And everybody wants teaching. Nobody wants preaching. But preaching can save your spiritual soul, your life, from bad consequences. So, just to answer your question, it included all of those things. It was weekly. It was accountability. It was teaching and instruction. It was love and fellowship together. And that's really, I was asking, like, like, when they were teaching, were they basically teaching, hey, Paul taught us this way, so it's a verbal communication. Like, what written... No, no, no. Remember what I said earlier? Paul said, bring me the parchments. Ah. Like, what was going on in the upper room? He had lamps there. 
Why would there be? Why would they say there were many lamps? So they could read. Paul was instructing them in the Word, and so he. That's why he said in Timothy, "Bring me my parchments from Troas." And so, but the last thing, guys, is that God shows His love by really calling us to examine and to give attention to His messengers and His Word. And I really think we struggle with this because I think we look too much at the people in the pulpit or the people in a Bible study or the people in our life that God brings as just the people. That's what they're saying. We don't see God speaking through them. And that's a big deal. So what happens? Eutychus is up there sitting in the window. Paul's preaching. He's fighting sleep. I don't think it's really that negative about Eutychus. I think it's more about Paul. And he falls out of the window. And what does Paul do? He goes and he throws himself on the body. Who does that remind you of? Elijah and Elisha. Both. Prophets. This guy's a prophet of God. This guy has the authority of God. We need to be mindful of what he's telling us. Um, And then Paul does what he does. Eutychus comes alive and he goes back up and teaches until daybreak. It's like they couldn't get enough. We're like, whew, I've had enough after about half an hour. They're like, and, and when I go to other countries, guys, and teach, that's what it's like. They, can't, they want you. They're talking to you as you're leaving, asking you questions because they're hungry. They're, they get the guy in the hall that yeah, came to our meeting that walked 13 miles each day, each way. Yeah. Yeah. Through, through the jungle just to hear God's word. Yeah. He was hungry. And I think, I, I, I listened to uh, the Georgia coach talking about our guys weren't hungry yet, but I got them hungry. They're talking about it. That's what my prayer is for us that we would be hungry for the Word of God. We would be hungry. You know, uh, there's also an analogy in Eutychus, I think. Uh, Tommy Nelson said this. He says, listen to God's Word. If you don't, you can fall into darkness. A lot of us are like that young man, Eutychus, sitting on the edge of the window. We're caught between darkness and light. We're in the church physically, but we're mentally apathetic to the words of God. He said, this is the peril of sermon sleeping. Be warned against sleeping when the Word of God is preached. Paul says, everyone, or Peter says, everyone be sober and alert. We can't go to sleep in the presence of God's truth. It could be deadly. He says, every Christian has to learn the fear of God for himself. And there's two ways to learn it. God's Word or your circumstances. I want this. Please teach me. <laughs> Lord, teach me through Your Word. Um, one final thought, guys. Um, I talked about Jesus and Paul. It's interesting that at the end of their life, on their way to Jerusalem, both of them took their disciples with them, had hostile Jews who wanted to kill them. They both predicted their suffering. Paul did in Acts 20 and 21. 
Jesus did. They both declared they were ready to lay down their life. They determined to complete their ministry, and they wanted ultimately God's will. There were so many similarities here in these two. And so as we leave today, think about these questions. Am I being intentional with the younger generation of believers? Am I in community? And am I being mindful of God's messengers and his word that he sends in my life? Those are questions of accountability that we need to ask. And, and if not, what do we need to do about it? Okay? Uh, Jeff, will you close our time in prayer? Yes. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this gathering.